It is another dark and dreary day on Wednesday, December 9th in the best year ever, 2020. And this is the third episode of us trying, attempting, a very loose attempt at a religious understanding podcast called Our Testament featuring the one, the only, gorgeous, talented, brilliant, Noelle, and Aaron. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is already our third episode, which is fun. We just passed the second week of Advent, second of four. So of the four weeks, three of them are symbolized by purple candles and one by a pink candle. So we're still on the purple candle. And the reading that we have today from the Bible in Genesis is actually the reading that was the gospel for the second week of Advent, which is coincidental. I don't know. A lot of religious people think that coincidences are not real and that they actually just come from God. What are your thoughts on that? Do you believe in coincidences or do you believe in like God moments where God manipulates those points in our lives that we think are coincidences or God winks, as some people say. I don't really believe in God, so I wouldn't say really that there are coincidences. I think there's more like convenience. That's fair. Like where things happen happen to line up? Yeah. Where I think that's just a part of life where things line up sometimes and sometimes they don't. I wouldn't that's say. <laughs> I don't think there's anyone like watching over at all times and it seems like a lot to keep track of everyone. Yeah, but like we're humans so we can't fathom that. But God is God. We've had this discussion before. You think that God is just an entity being type mm-hmm. of thing and then I'm just very skeptical because I like to see things and I like them to be tangible. So I don't really have like a set belief system. It's very fair. So with that, why don't we jump in to chapter three, reading three? Yeah, chapter three. So this one is quite literally called The Fall of Man. That's going to be my favorite chapter, I can tell. The Fall of Man? Yeah. It, It actually means human, not just like the patriarchy. I wish though. Great. Fall of human. Let's get it. What? I already feel like we're in the fall of human right now. So. Oh God. Okay, here we go. The fall of man. So this is chapter three in Genesis. If you're following along, we are using the New American Bible translation. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the animals that the Lord God had made. The serpent asked the woman, did God really tell you not to eat from any of the trees in the garden? The woman answered the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. It is only about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, You shall not eat it or even touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You certainly will not die. No, God knows well that the moment you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, who know what is good and what is bad. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eyes, and desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. And so she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. When they heard the sound of the Lord God moving about in the garden at the breezy time of the day, the man and his wife hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God then called to the man and asked him, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid myself. Then he asked, Who told you that you were naked? You have eaten then from the tree of which I had forbidden you to eat. The man replied, The woman whom you put here with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, so I ate it. The Lord God then asked the woman, Why did you do such a thing? The woman answered, The serpent tricked me into it, so I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you shall be banned from all the animals and from all the wild creatures. On your belly shall you crawl, and the dirt shall you eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike at your head, and while you strike at his heel. To the woman he said, I will intensify the pangs of your childbearing, in pain shall you bring forth children. Yet your urge shall be for your husband, and he shall be your master. To the woman he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree of which I had forbidden you to eat, cursed be the ground because of you. In toil shall you eat its yield all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to you, and as you eat of the plants of the field, by the sweat of your face shall you get bread to eat, until you return to the ground from which you were taken. For you are dirt, and to dirt you shall return. The man called his wife Eve, because she became the mother of all the living. For the man and his wife, the Lord God made leather garments from which he clothed them. Then the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing what is good and what is bad. Therefore, he must not be allowed to put out his hand to take fruit from the tree of life also, and thus eat of it and live forever. The Lord God therefore banished him from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he had been taken. When he expelled the man, he settled him east of the Garden of Eden, and he stationed the cherubim and the fiery revolving sword to guard the way to the tree of life. And that's the fall of man. That's how man fell. Okay. What do you think? Uh, I think it's interesting. I've actually been thinking like these past couple days how much I feel like religion is kind of caught up in either like control or like naivete. Hmm. Say more. No, say less. What? (laughs) (laughs) No, like that's a really good thought. I want to hear more about that. It's a podcast where neither one of us talk. It's just 30 minutes of us heavy breathing into the microphone. No. (laughs) So why do you think it's about control? First of all, God kind of set these ground rules as to not eat from the tree. Mm -hmm. And then they ate from the tree. And then he basically dictated how the rest of life on earth is going to go. (laughs) Yeah. And then I feel like with, I guess, the naive part of it, you're kind of expected to follow all of these teachings. Hmm. And then if you don't, it's kind of like you're not being true to yourself or you're basically questioning everything that doesn't align with that. So it's a very like narrow path, I think, to kind of live. I'm not judging anybody who 
lives that path. Um, there are certainly people that I know that are, you know, very involved in the teachings of the Bible, and I think that's great if you want to live your life. I think from my point of view, I definitely probably would have eaten the fruit from the tree, just because I think we touched on this last time. I would want to know, I guess, what we were talking about, the truth. Um, mm -hmm. Your eyes be open to the truth. I would want that luxury. I would want that privilege, even if it came with like curse and pain. Absolutely. And it's really interesting that the wording is such See, but that when God we talked doesn't about, want. When we talked about this last time, wrong. you said that you wouldn't eat from the tree. Right. Because I'm a goody two-shoes. Hello? If there's a singular rule put forth, I'm going to follow it. So even now, at this, at this stage of life, you would not eat from the tree like you'd just be content in the garden of eden like forever well i don't know like how much intellect they had you know like god was saying like oh now you know right from wrong you know like you have wisdom and it's like i would want that but was god going to teach adam and eve wisdom and right from wrong anyways you know was that going to be taught and that's why god didn't want them to eat from the tree or is God malevolent in this context and not want them to know anything, just stay naive and ignorant? I don't, I don't think so. I feel like God being a leader and a teacher and a mentor to the humans wanted to teach that God self and not have the first humans figure things out just by eating a plant. I would compare it to how a lot of people, instead of valuing like an educational experience in the classroom or at a museum or through a podcast or through a documentary, pick up their phone and Google something, you know? Going through the process of learning something versus a quick fix. Yeah, I mean, there's so much that's up to speculation. And mm -hmm. I think that's why too, I have so much trouble understanding this and wrapping my brain around it because I think if Adam and Eve were in that position, would they not ask? Right. So I guess that's my thing too, or, or they just did live in ignorance. Truly. Right. And the ignorance is bliss comment. Mm-hmm. It is really interesting. And I think there's a connection to be made about shame coming from the body. The first thing, the first thing that Adam and Eve did was clothe themselves, having shame from the body, being very bodily focused instead of soul and spiritually focused, mm. becoming human. Mm. instead of godly, instead of divine. And then also you have to think about, this is a translation. Is everything, like the absolutely abhorrent line, yet your urge shall be for your husband and he shall be your master. Who knows if that was the actual sentiment or the actual wording in Aramaic or in Arabic or even Greek, something closer to the language or linguistic tradition, I should say. This is English. It's so far from what the gospel writers were writing in. And then also, Jesus never spoke about the fall of man. Like, this was contrived based on the gospel writers. We don't have any version of history or version in the Bible where Jesus said, you know what, Adam and Eve did this. Mm. So this, is, this could be taken as a fable as a story that you would tell to children, maybe as the lesson being, hey, don't get too greedy, wait until you're taught better, assuming that you know things. See, but if they were to make this into a fable or a children's story, they would definitely have to say what kind of fruit is on the tree. 
Because that's a big hang-up for me. Really? Yeah. Because, like, I'm not going to lie. If there's a grapefruit on that tree, and they were like... grapefruit. And they were like, you will be able to know everything if you eat this grapefruit. Obviously, that's not in the Bible. (laughs) But if they were like, yo, sink your teeth into this grapefruit. (laughs) We got you the secrets of the universe. I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to pass. <laughs> because it's a grapefruit? Yeah, grapefruits are delicious. disgusting. What? So. It's delicious. But if they were like, hey, we got some fresh cut pineapple. Mm. Smells really great. Maybe, great. maybe some watermelon and it's peak season. Mm, peak season watermelon. Nice and juicy. That's good. Then I'd be like, all right, the truth of life can drip down my lips. I'm game. <laughs> <laughs> the truth of life should drip down my lips. And they were like, mm, uh, what about a coconut? They're like, you know what? No thanks. Yeah, it's another, it's another pass from me. So. Yeah, I'm trying to find where it says apple. Is it truly an apple? I mean, or are that's we just what, assuming it's an apple? It's what everyone assumes it to be. So then it would be an apple a day keeps the eternal garden away. <laughs> I love that. Mind blown. Nuts. It. I am not, you've heard it here first, at least in this translation, in this one version, I am not seeing the word apple. It simply says fruit. So if you're listening to this podcast, please let us know what fruit would be on the tree for you not to eat the fruit. Tell me what the grossest fruit is in your opinion. I want to hear it. And then you could live in that eternal garden forever. <laughs> On the contrary, mm-hmm. what's that one fruit that you'd be running to that tree, scaling? Scaling the tree. Scaling the tree, <laughs> putting it all up in your arms and just going to town. Wow. Your entire arms filled your with fruit. Your entire arms filled with fruit. <laughs> you'd be a human fruit basket. Ooh. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Fun for everyone but God. Yeah. And you because you're eternally cast out and all of the rest of your brethren and offspring for generations for the rest of humanity is cursed with original sin. Maybe God had fun with it though. We don't know. Maybe Maybe they were taking bets like, today's the day. They're going to eat the fruit. I bet you. Well, who's God betting? I don't know. (laughs) The, 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 the snake could talk, so I'm assuming other things might have been able to hmm. speak as well. That's just my assumption. Interesting. Huh. All right. Or, or God just talked to... God's self? Yeah. Oh. IDK. Okay. What do you think about the blame game that happens? Where God's like, Adam, why'd you eat that fruit? Eve made me do it. Eve, why'd you eat the fruit? The serpent made me do it. The serpent, like... <laughs> It, it's interesting, I guess, that this is one of the, I guess, earliest books pretty much published, right? When was this published? Do you know? Like, probably in the 1800s, I would say, right? The Bible? Or was it even oh, earlier than way, that? way, way, way before that. So then way before that, in, like, the third chapter, it's already brought up that, like, nobody can take accountability for their actions mm. and setting that standard mm-hmm. about not taking accountability. No wonder humans have such trouble with it. Yeah, so I think that's really interesting set forth. And I also wonder, me being, you know, super naive to religion and not ever hearing these stories, hearing, I guess, 
other people's viewpoints that really i guess stick to all of these stories and like what they learned from them and how they live their life around them like i would truly wonder if there are people that are like i will never like never commit a sin in my life like according to the bible like do you think that there are people out there that truly have never ever committed a sin according to the bible because isn't there a lot of ones that people do in their everyday lives that oh gosh yeah so do you think there are people out there that have never no Hmm. i feel like everyone like do you think it's possible no really no like why your children your children at one time you steal a cookie that's stealing that's one of the Ten Commandments. You've sinned, right? But like, based on how harshly you interpret it, yeah, you. everybody's a sinner. But do you think that there are people out there that will not admit that they're sinners and oh. say that they're pure? Oh, heavens, yeah. Why? Because they want to be seen as more righteous than other people. I mean, we're going to see as we go through the Bible, there have been these groups of people throughout history, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and various priests who say, or take on the attitude of holier than thou, Mm. being the ones to very loudly say that Mm. they're fasting and they fast, but they're very egotistical about it. Mm. And they make it all about them, which is being selfish, which is sinful. Like that's deceitful or I mean think about politicians people who cheat on their spouses or their significant others or who embezzle hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions or people who are just unkind to others those are all sins the world is sinful there's really no way about it every time well as I was taught every time you say oh my god you're taking the lord's name in vain every time you stub your toe and say like damn it that's a sin. Every time you're disrespectful to a parent or guardian, it's one of the Ten Commandments. It's a sin. So like every time like a little kid, like think about like a three-year-old throwing a tantrum in like a store and like kicking and screaming and hurting their parent or guardian, either physically like with their little fists and feet or just emotionally like putting stress on them. Technically, if you want to get super minute about it, it's sinful. The kid doesn't really, like, the kid is tired and hungry and whatever reason. But, like, there's no way to never have sinned. Mm. There just isn't. Mm -hmm. How middle schoolers experiment with all sorts of stuff. Language, substances, lying to others. There's no way to, there's no way to get through life without sinning. It's just part of the human experience. And I think Adam and Eve are just, I mean, they screwed up. We all screw up. Yeah, but God didn't cut them any slack for it. That's true. (sighs) Yeah. So it's interesting, I guess, that people say like all these things like God will pave the way or like God will forgive you Mm -hmm. or God will lead you in the right direction when straight up they made a mistake and God was like, yeah, you're cursed forever. But he didn't kill them. He didn't say humanity is now terrible and we're going to kill you off. Yeah, I should hope not. There'd be no Bible. It would end chapter three. They'd be (sighs) like, if you touch a fruit and you put it in your mouth, and you eat it, you're dead. That's it. That's the Bible. Chapter 3, we are done. Do not eat fruit. You will die. Don't tell the kids that. (laughs) Nutrition is a good thing. I mean, so I guess this is really interesting to me because since you grew up around the Catholic faith and you went to school around the Catholic faith, did you encounter those people that you felt were more righteous or, you know, proclaimed, proclaimed, 
proclaim proclaim you to got be it. more righteous than you know other people or did you i'm really curious too is if you were growing up and you met people whose views differed from yours did you have that internal feeling that you were more righteous than them and that's like, really interesting and then when like do you remember that kind of starting because i think you make a really interesting connection with everybody makes mistakes and the naivete and bringing the children into it so mm. i'm curious to see how your views have kind of involved like evolved with that internal monologue i realized that people were self-righteous when i grew up because like i what age goodness I started realizing it probably around junior year of high school. Wow. It took me a really long wow. ass time. Yeah. I was not expecting you to be that old. That's interesting. Yeah, because I just always thought of people trying their best. Uh-huh. Like everyone's trying their best. Mm-hmm. And if someone thinks they're better than others, maybe they have a lot of internal stuff going on and they're just trying to pump themselves up. Huh. I didn't think of... It is putting other people down. I just thought of them as like very deeply insecure about themselves and needing a self-esteem boost. Mm -hmm. So they're like, oh, I do all these things. More like bragging, but not like self-righteously putting other people down. But yeah, junior year of high school, my family and I like went through some traumatic events and I just got very angry. And it was in that anger where I started realizing like, People can be very egotistical. People can just not care about others. And it was more along the lines of that innocent break when I started seeing more people for, I guess, as I now think, as they are. And I've seen more people as I've grown up be very self-righteous about their involvement in faith, their accomplishments, secularly or spiritually. And I definitely think I was one of those people when I was younger in elementary school. Like looking back, I've never really thought of it in those terms, but I was definitely told by my parents and like subtly hearing around the dinner table, my mom has for many, many years been a Catholic school teacher. And she would say like, well, we go to church every week. Mm. Not everybody does that. Mm. Or if someone was acting up in my class, we had a rather rambunctious like class what? in was elementary like, school. Okay, elementary school was my yeah. last time. Or it was like, oh, so and so is acting up, and it's the and I would like always verbalize out loud like, I really don't know like how people can make those decisions or make those choices, like when like Jesus wouldn't be happy with that, like very much. Yeah, like, uh-huh. it, you know the childhood, well, maybe you don't, but the childhood phrase, WWJD, what would Jesus do? We would I've literally have it on, like, little bracelets or bookmarks or stuff. Wow. Yeah, because it's how you get the message across to children. WWJD, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do in this situation? All right, you have a fight on the playground. You have a fight at recess. WWJD, what would Jesus do? How would you talk to someone else? How would you treat someone else yeah. if you were Jesus? Mm-hmm. If they were Jesus? Uh-huh. And seeing Jesus in every person you encounter and seeing Jesus in yourself, which is a beautiful lesson. But I really, really took that to heart as a child and thought like, oh my gosh, like someone was very deliberately lying to another student or to a teacher or to an adult or being disrespectful. And as a child, I didn't understand like WWJD, like why aren't they doing what Jesus is doing? Why wouldn't they do what Jesus is teaching? And a parent or both of my parents would be like, well, they don't go to church every Sunday. 
Their parent doesn't take them to church. Maybe they're not as invested in religion. And I suppose that was helping me decenter good behavior with being Catholic. Mm. But for me at that time in my life, I didn't understand my parents saying maybe subtly, you don't have to be Catholic to be a good person to make good choices. Because I interpreted it as, well, the less you go to church, the worse decisions you tend to make. That's really interesting because I think in some you know cases that you're describing, it's kind of less about like Aaron and the choices that she chose to make. It was more of the relationship between Aaron and Jesus mm-hmm. versus the relationship between Aaron and herself. Mm. Yeah. Which is so interesting. Uh-huh. Like when I hear you talk about it because I never had any of those experiences. Uh, like I went to... Uh, Catholic school for preschool and kindergarten and I don't really remember it honestly Uh, I mean we had some plays and stuff where uh, there was like shepherds maybe that's the nativity I'm so excited for Christmas I'm sorry go on yeah so I, I remember like little things like that but there was never that sort of like language or narrative uh used in my house which is really interesting so I think that Whenever I got in trouble, you know, it was like, this is your fault. Mm. So it's like, you are the one that's taking accountability for your actions. But I never wanted to. (laughs) As a kid, I never wanted to admit it was my fault. I don't know if this is common amongst people. But when I made a mistake or something, I would know that I made the mistake. But internally, it was enough for me to like be upset. So I would like cry, be like, it wasn't me. I wouldn't take that accountability that I needed to take. And I think as I've gotten older, uh, even just recently older, I'd probably say in the past uh, few years or so, I've really learned to kind of take accountability for my actions and see how I can, you know, try and make myself a better person in my eyes. Yeah. And I think that's interesting where, you know, for your school is how can you make a better per make yourself a better person in the eyes of Jesus? Yeah. And it's how I live my life even now. It, I find it really difficult to look at myself and sit with myself and be like, how can I make myself happy? Because it feels so very selfish. Mm-hmm. By the way, I was raised and how I live out faith. It's always like, how can I be a better person for others? How can I be a better person for God, for my parents, for my partner, for my siblings, for my friends, for my students, for my colleagues, for the community? It's never about like doing the best by myself. Getting in trouble as a child. I was always a goody two shoes, but when I did, <laughs> when, I, when I seldom got in trouble, no, but um, when I got in trouble, it was very much. It was coming from a place of disappointment. You've let someone down. You've let your parents down with expectations. You've met, you've let your siblings down. They're looking up to you as an older sibling, as an example. You've let down Jesus, like WWJD, what would Jesus do? That's not something that Jesus would do. That's not a decision that would make God happy. So then I guess when you were younger and you listened to this language, you know, from your parents, Whenever you saw kids, I guess, quote unquote, you know, misbehaving in your eyes or kind of sinning or not doing what Jesus would do, would you have that inner monologue of like, I'm so happy I'm not like that, or I'm so happy that like I practice Jesus's teachings or I follow that or like, you know, I'm happy I'm not a sinner, like was ever that like your internal monologue? When I was very young, I would get angry at quote unquote, the bad kids. 
which as a teacher, I don't believe any child is bad. Like no student is bad in my eyes, but as a very young child going to school with a rambunctious class, since I was very, very quiet and very much a rule follower, I would get very upset when the whole group kind of going back to the fall man, the whole of humanity, the whole of my class, including me, was punished for something that I didn't do. It made me beyond upset. Interesting. Yeah, just like Adam and Eve, their mistakes, being deceived by the serpent, Mm -hmm. giving in to desire, I suppose, it punished all of humanity. Mm. Just like as a child in a class of rambunctious little kids, we would lose recess time or we would lose coloring time or we wouldn't get a dress down day or one of (laughs) sitting in like the little groups, one of the beads would be taken away from the little basket. Mm. No matter how well I did, it was because of others that the whole group was punished. So kind of going back to that aspect of control and accountability, which I think I guess it's interesting that that gets tied back there. But do you think that now kind of your inner monologue has changed? I mean, I think it's interesting because when we met almost a year and a half ago, I wouldn't say that you were judgmental right off the bat, but I think you're more open-minded now. Would you say that that's true? Oh yeah, I definitely got that way starting junior year of high school because I realized when I went through what I did, I realized like, huh, Incredibly traumatic things are happening to everyone every single day, and I have no idea what's going on, going on in the background of someone's life. Maybe they're struggling in physics class and asking what I would consider a dumb question, or falling asleep in class, or wanting to cheat, or slacking off in an AP class because a grandparent is dying. I think I just developed more empathy for people and realized that a lot of people have different situations so I shouldn't judge other people as harshly and that's where my mind started opening up and then getting into politics and more social justice issues I as I chose to become a professional educator in college my mind just opened up to so many different life circumstances that make the world so much easier or harder for various reasons that people can't control at all. I think it's interesting that that didn't really correlate with Jesus. I guess it's just more through what you went through and your own circumstances that made you a more empathetic person. Yeah. And your kind of, you know, view on time and how precious it can be and how to live. Yeah. Nice. I guess we should maybe preview next episode before we dig deeper into your childhood, <laughs> adolescence, and analyze you. Oh, yeah. Um... If you really want to analyze the rest of my childhood, I guess we'll have to go through this Bible, huh? (laughs) Good thing we got time. We got plenty of pages. All right. So chapter four in Genesis is called Cain and Abel. So just for your background, Cain and Abel were the two first children. And this is... Like the children of Adam and Eve? I believe so. The ancestral children. Eve was made out of Adam. Yes. So technically they're related, right? I guess. Babe, don't... Oh, no. <laughs> uh, why, why, we, why we already got to go for incest? Okay, so you heard it here, listeners. No. Next week, we'll be talking about the ancestral children. <laughs> so, also, Cain, like they're the two brothers. One's the good brother, one's the bad brother. Raisin Cain's, that fast food thing... 
Like raising cane as in raising hell with like the taste bud sensation. Cane okay. is the bad one. Spoiler alert. Abel's the good one. I never knew that's where raising canes came from. Yeah, not spelled the same way. Wow. But yeah. I'm gonna have to dig deep into this. Yeah. You might have to go try some of their gross food. <laughs> Maybe. Well, thanks for being here with us <laughs> and we will see you next time for our testament. Eat some fruit, folks. Yeah. <laughs>